Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Hello, I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys Donald Duck comics, and I am joined again by a couple of other grown men. Um, Why don't we go with Ryan first? I'm Ryan Bailey. Uh, I read a lot of comics, but usually with more explosions than this. (laughs) And Eric. Uh, I'm Eric Hartley. I read a fair amount of comics with, yeah, just a lot of comics. The average number of explosions. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So um, today for Barks Remarks, we get to talk about a pretty famous story called Maharaja Donald. Um, I'm going to go right into the background of this one. This is a comic that was published in early 1947. I don't have the exact month for this one because, again, this is kind of a weird printing. Um, It was published in March of Comics, episode number four. And March of Comics was one of those giveaway titles um, that was published, made for stores and retailers to put their own name uh, on the comic and and give them away to, to the kiddos. And so consequently, this one is pretty rare these days because while they printed just tons and tons of copies by, by the nature of the comic, parents threw them away, kids got tired of them. So this one's pretty, uh, pretty valuable, pretty rare. Um, it is 28 pages. It has been reprinted quite a few times, including by Gemstone Comics for um, free comic book day in, I think, 2003. Uh, which you know, they, they did that deliberately because it was originally published as a freebie giveaway. And um, uh, so a brief synopsis of this one. This one involves Huey, Dewey, and Louie trading their way up from uh, Donald's discarded stub of a pencil all the way to a steamer ticket to India. Donald commandeers the ticket, and upon arriving in India with the nephew stowing away, becomes Maharaja for a day and immediately gets embroiled in local palace intrigue regarding a rivalry between two kingdoms, prime tiger hunting real estate, and a very strange custom involving a sacred mogul elephant. So um, this is Maharaja Donald. A little bit of uh, background trivia. I talked about how this one was a giveaway similar to Donald Duck's Atom Bomb. I I noted, too, when I was looking up earlier printings that uh, the the coloring for this one had the character's skin being lightened considerably on a lot of the reprints. I think the the Indian character's skin was originally printed as brown, and the censors probably wanted to avoid any controversy with that one. That, That wouldn't have been something that Karl Barks really had much um, much say in. Um, I mentioned that this one's very rare because of the nature of its publishing. I, I read somewhere that only like 21 to 50 copies are known to exist. Um, I didn't find great information on its value, but I did see a very fine condition auction that had it valued at $4,500. So 
you guys, this one had, um, this opens with an old trope that I just love. And I remember seeing this in a lot of other like kids literature and kids media growing up, the, the trade up, you know, the, the, the big barter, if you will. Had you guys, did you guys remember seeing this in anything else? Because this was something that I saw a lot of. How about you guys? I, um, I had never heard of it as like a, a kid game or anything like that. But uh, I do remember in the um, 2000s, the one red paperclip guy who got pretty famous because he traded oh, yeah. for something else and he traded that for something else. And he, I looked him up. Uh, he did 14 trades and went from a paperclip to a house in, in Canada. And, um, and so I thought, oh, that's cool that this is like uh, 50 years before that. I looked it up and that guy was from, it was from 2005 to 2006. That's right. I totally forgot about that guy. You just brought that back for me. Cool. How about you, Eric? The other one um, for all those office aficionados is the classic office episode where they have the garage sale and Dwight, his whole goal is to trade up and he goes to trade like some pencil or pen or something and he ends up trading it up to everybody else and he gets the telescope nice. which is the best item okay. there and then of course in classic fashion jim plays a prank on him and trades him magic beans <laughs> the air quotes for the telescope and it's it's a great episode but it, it has that whole trading up a trading up concept and dwight explains at the very beginning so that's right. I'd forgotten about that, too. Does he actually start with a, a pen or a pencil? I, I can't remember what he starts with, but... Nice. Um, all right. So a little bit of the background. You guys know that I, I really like to talk about the historical context uh, that these came out of. And um, this one is, like, especially fascinating to me because Barks created this story in August of 1946. And um, again, it was published in 1947. I don't know exactly the, um, the month just because it was published for the giveaway, but 1947 is a very significant date um, in India. Uh, do you guys happen to know or want to hazard a guess about 1947 in India? Uh, is that uh, when they kicked out the Brits? That, that is Indian independence. Yes. So it, to me, it's crazy that this kind of came out right as everything was was going on in India. The the I read that the Indian independence movement it had been building for a long time, obviously, but this is when it culminated in 1947. Um, the partition happened in 47, and so the interesting thing is India before the partition and before independence had I looked it up about 584 princely states, or also called native states, um, which were not fully and formally part of British India. So you, you really did have all these little relatively tiny kingdoms that were mostly autonomous. And then basically after the Brits uh, partitioned India, everyone kind of fell in line. All of the states either decided to become part of India or, or Pakistan or were basically conquered or annexed by one or the other. So I, I found it really interesting that obviously this is a pretty like out there story as far as um, it, I don't think it is really trying to understand Indian 
geopolitics or anything like that. But um, it's crazy to think of India basically having these little kingdoms. And then I'm curious, do you guys know anything about like the term Maharaja? Uh, Once again, no. So Maharaja, I mean, obviously from context, it's a ruler in India. Um, I, I did a little bit of a dive into it. Maharaja literally means great prince. Uh, from Sanskrit. So the Maha part means great and Raja is like king or prince. So a Maharaja is a really exalted um, king. And and I learned that it comes from a Proto-Indo-European, the same root word as the English word much, Maha and much. So I thought that was interesting. And then it, you know, Karl Barks really liked using Maharajas in his stories. He had a, he had a bunch of them in, in different gag stories. So Anyway, some interesting stuff. Um, notable appearances in this one. We don't really have any ongoing characters apart from the ducks. We'll make additional appearances. We have, I'd say the Maharaja of Hupadula is, is the most um, notable character. And then um, I wanted this episode, I wanted to kind of start to acknowledge the different versions of the ducks that we get in some of these because I think Donald stands out in this one is this is a pretty like selfish version of Donald it's very oppositional between him and the nephews for a lot of the story Um, he's not really concerned about them for a lot of it except in as much as it affects him and I think that's pretty different from some of the other ones we've read where they've been less in conflict with each other. Do you guys have any thoughts uh, before I go into the plot summary? No, not, not yet. All right. Well, um, and, and as always, if you have any um, thoughts in between parts of this sequence, feel free to interject. So um, this story opens up with Donald asking the nephews to clean out the garage He promises to give them some of the junk that he doesn't want, but he ultimately lets them down by giving them a stub of a pencil. And uh, the kids decide to see what they can make of the pencil by trading it up. And, you know, at this point, we get that classic kid empowerment trading sequence that we were already talking about. And they managed to parlay their pencil stub into a ball of string, a knife, a silver belt buckle, um, eventually into a camera, and then Finally, a pearl that some kid's dad sent him from the South Seas. And I figure that that kid is definitely in for a paddling when he gets home. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Yes, he is. Hey, I have one question here. Shoot. And, and that is, if they cleaned out the garage and they got everything he didn't want and all they got was a pencil, did they just organize the garage? Or is he just giving them busy work because he didn't want to deal with them? Yeah, I wonder what cleaning it means because they kind of just pile it up outside. Yeah. yeah. You got to sweep out. You got to sweep out the black widows at some point, you know. Kinda <laughs> oh, that's that's fair point. Get the dust out a little bit. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. So um, the kids take the pearl to a jeweler to get it assessed, and there they encounter a tycoon who um, sees the pearl and decides that he needs it to complete his wife's necklace. Um, but the nephews are really in it for the trading. So they tell him that they're only going to trade for it. And he offers them the steamship ticket to India that he was about to use to seek out a pearl. Um, they take it home and they show it off to Donald. And he points out that it's passage for only one. So he commandeers the ticket. That's a very generous way of phrasing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dirk move. 
<laughs> yeah, he's he's a pretty big jerk uh, through most of this story, I'd say. And and I read um, a Barks a, a letter in researching this. It wasn't specifically about this one, but I read about a letter that he sent to some lady who had written into the comics publisher complaining about how mean Donald was or he told his nephews to shut up or something like that. And he kind of roasted her and uh, said that, you know, these, this was how Donald and the kids had gotten more popular than Mickey Mouse um, in their cartoon <laughs> shorts in the late 40s and sure. early 50s. So I think really some of, some of that conflict is just kind of in keeping with the cartoons. So anyway, on the day that Donald is um, to set sail. He makes it clear that the nephews need to stay at their grandma's and they ask if they can send him off with some Bon Voyage baskets. And so aboard the ship, Donald gets settled into his cabin and he eyeballs the lavish fruit baskets that the nephews have sent, which have some very suspiciously placed grapefruits and pineapples. Um, he pokes one of the pineapples with a pin and figures out that indeed the nephews have stowed away. I like uh, their their the consistent uh, ingenuity that they have uh, mm -hmm. of making the best of their situation, uh, regardless of how much uh, Donald abuses their labor and steals from them. <laughs> yeah, and they don't really seem to um, to put off when he deals deals with them like that. Exactly. I really liked, as a kid, I really liked um, just the look of those fake fruit baskets. I thought they looked awesome. That is a lot of fruit. It is, yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, Donald ponders what he's going to do about the nephew stowing away. And uh, while he's doing that, the ticket purser arrives and the nephews have to hide back in their baskets. Um, and while Donald's distracted, the purser decides he's going to swipe a pineapple because you know, Donald's obviously got a lot and he won't miss it. And um, so he, he inadvertently catches one of the nephews. Um, and I, I really like the, um, the panel where he reacts to lifting the nephew up by his pineapple. And the nephew is like silently praying that he's not, not caught. I, I thought that would be cool. Very fun. Um, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that that's what he was doing. I love, I love the idea of just like, please don't notice that there is a duck hanging from this pineapple. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the purser accuses Donald of harboring stowaways, but Donald just completely disavows his nephews, claiming he's never seen them in his life. And uh, so as a result, Huey, Dewey, and Louie have to work um, during the entire voyage for their passage, and they're not going to be allowed ashore because they don't have any passports. I don't know how long um, steamship passage to India lasts, but I've got to imagine that's a pretty long voyage. Yeah, we got a um, we actually got a city uh, in this one. I've I've I think in past podcasts I've mentioned Duckburg as where they're coming from. Just my memory of uh, '80s uh, Ducktales cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in this one, they actually named Burbank. As yeah, the, that's right. True, yeah. And 
Karl Barks will um, use Burbank as their uh, hometown quite a few times. Um, I don't know at what point he starts to refer to, to Duckburg, because he does, but I think it might be around when he does the Uncle Scrooge adventures, and then it just gets retconned into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Barks, uh, he, you know, he was part of Disney animation, so um, I know he spent a lot of time there and uh, made sense that Burbank would be on his mind. Um, all right. So um, as Donald is getting ready to disembark the ship, he realizes that the nephews have swiped his passport and uh, in the process of chasing him, chasing the them. Ticket. Oh, yes. Oh, his, I think, didn't they take his passport too? Yes. At any yeah. rate, he's not going to be allowed to, um, to leave. And um, they encounter, while they're, you know, in chase, they encounter uh, an Indian man who offers to secure their passports in return for a small favor. And, you know, this guy just oozes with suspicion. He's clearing his throat suspiciously. Uh, basically every time he speaks, but he assures Donald that, you know, there's not going to be anything dangerous about the task. And he asks that the ducks join him at his palace in his kingdom. Um, and when they're really skeptical, he asks the captain to introduce him. And uh, the captain announces him as the Maharaja of Hupadula. I, I love the tit for tat that these nephews have with their uncle. You know, he swipes their ticket. They stole away thinking they're going to stick him with the bill. He says, no, you're not. You're going to work for it. I don't know you. They get stuck working. And then they, well, we're going to take your ticket. So it's the adversarial aspect of their relationship. Well, not being enemies is fantastic of just such, honestly, such a family relationship. I mean, I can't tell you how many times me and my brothers are going like, yeah, well, screw you. Well, we yeah, asked for you too. Dang it. Okay, let's do this. And it just continues onward and onward until eventually somehow it has to stop. But that th th this right here covers it very well, that nature, that kind of relationship. Yeah, there's a lot of escalation here, you know. And I think if you wanted to read into it, um, I don't know, he's their uncle. Maybe they're coming to terms. We, we've acknowledged that there's not really a, a ton of continuity here. But um, I do find it interesting that in some of the stories, this is the kind of relationship that they've got this very conflicted uh, relationship. All right. So um, the ducks are going to encounter the Maharaja's palace. And um, I didn't look it up, but I, I'm pretty sure that the palace is basically styled after the Taj Mahal. Do you guys know? Did you guys did that strike I, you as the case? I would assume oh. that's just what they that's what people know. So that's what they're going to go with. <laughs> yeah. um, it, I can see it being influenced by the Taj Mahal. It doesn't look particularly like a good likeness, in my opinion. Well, it's definitely supposed to look very ornate, very lavish. Um, yeah. So the the ducks, they they go in and they ponder what their task might be. Um, and then we see the Maharaja confiding kind of sneakily in one of his men talking about Donald being perfect for the task he has in mind based on his size. So we're getting some hint of it. Um, we're getting a hint that he's being completely set up. Uh, so the ducks tour the Maharaja's palace, including his gem rooms, um, which the, he notes that he fills by loaning gold to neighboring kingdoms, and then he accepts repayment in diamonds. Um, he shows them the borders of his kingdom, uh, and especially the nearby kingdom of Bumpei. And he despairs that they have the finest tiger hunting land, but he notes that he'll own it someday. 
Um, and he reveals that he holds their mortgage and that by custom, they have to make the payment every year in diamonds or in land. But he seems to leave out some detail. And so the ducks enjoy a luxurious night. And then the next morning, they dress in fine Indian clothes. Um, I did also notice uh, on this page, he mentions for the first of two times in this issue, if Daisy could only see me now. Uh, and I have not seen Daisy mentioned in any previous issues. Yeah, that's a good point. Daisy appears a lot in the, um, in the 10 page comics that um, we're largely not gonna be talking about. Um, I don't think she appears in very many of the adventure stories. There's only one of them that I can think of offhand, but um, maybe we'll, we'll come to more. But yeah, usually usually she's the subject of 10-pagers. Barks, Barks even had her as the main character in some of the 10-pagers. All right, so the next morning they learn from another uh, suspiciously coughing attendant that they are to meet the Maharaja in his elephant yard. And there they learn they're, they're going to be riding an old sacred elephant across the river into the capital city of Bumpei, where they're going to find, quote, hospitality different from anything you expect. Um, so <laughs> Donald has, has qualms. This one's kind of unique, right? Because it's Donald who seems to have uh, some inkling that something's not right instead of the nephews. But um, the kids encourage him to take the Maharaja up on it. And so they, they get on the elephant and as they get across the river, Donald reassures himself that, you know, when he reaches the other side of the riverbank, he can always turn back if he doesn't like the look of things. But then we cut to the Maharaja and he's waiting, he's aiming a big artillery gun at them and they realize that, uh, you know, they're in for it and they have no choice but to continue on. So I, I, I noticed when he when he said uh, you'll find the hospitality different from anything you'd ever expect struck me as as a, just a variation on the in all movies and TV shows where there's some shady guy and he's like just do this thing for me and you'll get exactly what's coming to you <laughs> <laughs> and they go oh that's great it's money right you're gonna give me money yeah I mean, if anyone says that to me I'm gonna be like oh oh you're going to kill me. <laughs> you're like no 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 i'm just saying you're going to yeah, get they, what you deserve <laughs> they clearly need to watch more classic television exactly <laughs> all right so um they they continue to ride the elephant because of course they don't have any choice and uh en route we see that they're definitely passing through some of that prime tiger hunting land because they have to fend off a tiger attack which uh, the nephews do very bravely while Donald stays hidden. And uh, they point out how lucky he is that they didn't stay at their grandma's after all. And uh, eventually they're going to arrive in the kingdom of Bumpei. But first we, we kind of do a, a preview cut and we see Bumpei's royal tax collector and their regal compiler of the deficit um, talking about the terms of their loan. And, and this this is very Barksian to me. These like over the top titles, um, and I love it. I love those. I love their their uh, their jobs. And so they we we kind of learn that the terms of their loan uh, dictate that if this mogul elephant returns with um, someone very small, they may have to surrender even more of their tiger land. We haven't learned exactly the details though. Um, so the ducks arrive and they get greeted with all this like 
pomp and ceremony, but uh, the men are just scowling the whole time while they greet them. It's um, kind of funny, the whole, how do they write a mortgage this way, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, I understand it's all a plot device to get Donald in peril, but the whole, you have a person yet that weighs something extreme. or there's a sacred oath involved. It's like, there's culture, there's an ancient culture here or supposed culture, I suppose. I don't no idea how close this is to anything they actually d- did back then um, or those kingdoms ever did. But then tie it into a modern mortgage. It's like hilarious. Yeah, it, it's super convoluted. And I think there's a little bit of hand waving about, you know, how, how those foreigners um, do things because, you know, people travel less for all you know, this could be true. But it's definitely uh, it's definitely a funny setup. Um, yeah. All right, so this is where Donald gets to learn uh, what's going on, and he he finds out that because he's riding the mogul elephant, he is now the Maharaja of Bumpei. Um, and of course, because he's Donald Duck, he you know swells up with pride immensely, and they lead Donald around his new kingdom. They show off to him. Um, this is going to be that second time that he mentions Daisy in the context of if Daisy could only see me now. And then we get a great gag shot of him learning that he has a harem of wives. Um, he also meets his army of three soldiers. I guess uh, I guess fewer soldiers than wives. Um, and then finally, <laughs> he gets to sit down to his lunch, which he initially believes to be caviar, but turns out to be buckshot. And when he asks what's, asks what's going on, um, he finds out the specifics of this weird convoluted mortgage scheme. Um, Bumpe's Maharaja has to be weighed once every year. And if he doesn't weigh as much as 100 pounds of diamonds, which by my math is 100 pounds, um, then <laughs> Bumpe is allowed. If he, if he weighs 100 pounds, they're allowed to pay their interest in diamonds. But if not, they get more of their tiger land foreclosed on. Um, and then Donald further learns that uh, this is not an option. And if he doesn't make the weight, he's going to be fed to the royal tigers. And uh, there's no escape. What, what do you guys think of this, uh, this scheme between Bumpe and Pupadula? <laughs> this is how I'm working. I'm trying... <laughs> well, I mean, on the bright side, they don't specify the quality of the diamond. Just 100 pounds. I mean, you can have just shoddy, low quality, you know, keep all the nice ones for yourselves, but just fill up full of the, the worst possible diamonds you can have. But I mean, that's my thinking. Yeah, that's true. But, I don't think the uh, Maharaja really cares about the diamonds, uh, judging from how he talked about them, how sick of them he is. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out who the bad guy in the story is. Because I'm not sure if it's the one who tricked him or if it's the ones that are going to feed him to the tigers. I mean, my instinct is that it's Donald. Yeah, I would say everyone but the nephews probably in this story is the villain. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I'm going to talk about when, when, I, when we reflect on this one, because that definitely came to mind. All right, so Donald, um, Donald calls out to Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and he explains what's going on um, and that he desperately needs their help. Um, and so they ponder possible solutions, and ultimately they ask um, for a bag of gold dust to be sent up, because, you know, he is the Maharaja, even if he's definitely going to be fed to tigers. Um, and they, I think, I thought this was very clever. 
you know, they sift it into his feathers and they managed to get his weight up to 98 pounds. So they just have a couple pounds to make up. Um, Huey grabs what he thinks is a hose, a water hose, aiming to have Donald drink two pounds of water. Unfortunately, he fails to notice that it's a gas outlet. And we get a little bit of cartoon logic here um, because it does not... <laughs> It does not kill Donald, uh, but rather he is now lighter than air. And when the weigh-in arrives, they find him floating mid-air. Um, and the Maharaja of Hupadula, he's also there to witness the weigh-in. And he sees him tied to the scales um, and ultimately weigh in at 60 pounds less than nothing. So, you know, their, their worst fears have come true. They're going to lose their tiger land. And oh yeah, they have to feed feed their Maharaja to the tigers. And then one of the Bumpanian money men, um, he hopes out loud that something awful falls on the Maharaja of Upadula. And uh, we get some nice comic timing where Donald deflates in that moment and lands right on him. And uh, he, you know, he probably he does. <laughs> and then um, I liked this sequence where uh, the palace at Bumpay announces to the citizenry the, the imminent feeding of their exalted Raja to the tigers. And uh, they encourage them to rush the box office for tickets. And then the nephews get kicked out of the palace so that they don't try to interfere with things. Yeah. That's a great weight loss program if you can just, you know, suck some gas and just all of a sudden weigh 60 pounds lighter than nothing. Yeah, I hear once you stop sucking the gas down, the weight comes all back. <laughs> all right. So that weigh-ins. We get the nephews, they're, they're despairing that they don't have any options until they stumble upon another stub of pencil and they decide that they're rich. And so we get a nice bookended trading sequence where um, they're going to trade up the pencil into something to help their uncle. And um, they, they trade first the pencil to an old man. They convince him that, that he can use it to darken his beard for a good luck charm. And then they trade that for a minor bird from a man that they call Punjab. Um, and then they trade that to a British colonialist on his way back to England for um, his binoculars. And then we kind of skip ahead like we did the first time. Ultimately, they land at 500 pounds of cat food and uh, they, park, they park the cart outside the Royal Tiger Pen and start to toss it all in. I, I did like this. This was a good, um, a good, like both a callback to the beginning and uh, a good show of their own cleverness. The, you know, the one red paperclip thing is just a satisfying concept on its own. It's just satisfying to watch it. Yeah, I agree. I really like the, the bookend tradings here. Well, I was going to say, normally in these duck stories, it's, there's some kind of convoluted goofiness that starts the story that just kind of just falls to the wayside. But this one, it's actually really good foreshadowing of this how they do it. And the fact that the boys, like, they, they don't think there's zero pessimism. We have a pencil. Yes, we're doing That's it. Right. It's not like, like oh, think we can do that again? Like, nope, we got this down. We are master traders at this. Yeah, there, there are a lot of good callbacks in this one, right? Because they, they call back the joke about um, staying at grandma's house a couple of times um, yeah. that they that Barks goes back to, you know, he sets up Daisy and then he refers to it again. It's, it's good rules of comedy. He's, he's really following there. 
All right, so in the morning, Donald is forced into um, the Coliseum where the crowd's gonna watch him beaten. But of course, the, the tigers waddle out and they're just too overfed to even give him a second look. And everyone is just disgusted with their terrible, terrible Maharaja. Um, they're so disgusted that the money men ask what it's gonna take to um, just get him out of the country. And uh, Donald, you know, initially doesn't ask enough, but he ultimately finagles first class steamer tickets for Huey, Dewey and Louie. And on their voyage back home, they agree that they are all even. And that is Maharaja Donald. All right. So um, we're going to talk about how we felt about this one separately. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to give your opinion, but I do want to talk first about kind of the general consensus. Uh, as always, we like to check the indexed website that tracks user reviews for all Disney comic stories. So it gives a good aggregate idea. And um, this one, you might be surprised or you, or you might not. I don't know. Um, this one is rated very, very highly. This is a very well-regarded story of Barks. It has a 7.7 .7 out of 10 on the Indux page, um, which puts it right now at 164th out of the almost 41,000 Disney comic stories that are rated. Um, good enough for the top 99.6 percentile of all stories. And uh, I think we're eight episodes in now. Um, and so we've got, yeah, this is our ninth story because uh, of course last one was a twofer. Um, and so this is actually the second best regarded out of all the stories that we've done by kind of the general fandom. Um, the only one that's higher and it's just by a, a very small fraction would be Terror of the River is still our, our best regarded story that we, we've done. So I, I find it really interesting that this one is so highly regarded because this one's not really one of my favorites. But I guess I guess it does fall into some of the classic, um, you know, things that people do love about Carl Bark stories, which is some of those adventures in really far flung places. Uh, some of that kind of happenstance where the, the ducks are kind of fish out of water and become embroiled in something bigger. I personally, I do love the trading sequences that book that bookend this story. I thought they were great. Um, I remember just loving it as a kid and coming back to that part. On the whole, though, I don't really like how cruel Donald is to the nephews in this one. And like most of the peripheral characters in the story are also really unlikable. Um, I mean, it's it's very zany and it's it's a very weird and intriguing like plot device. So it's definitely interesting. But um, I remember finding this very off-putting as a kid. You know, this was in a collection that I had, a big hardbound collection. I think this was the one out of the 10 or so stories that I read the least. Um, I do still find this one a bit off-putting as an adult, and I also have a hard time getting past some of the kind of Orientalist trappings of it, although I do think it doesn't, it, it's not as bad as some works of that time in regards to how it, it treats South Asia. So that, that's my thoughts on this one. Um, Eric, how about you? What did you think of this story? 
Well, I mean, what you're talking about, how this depiction, yeah, that certainly is, you know, I wouldn't say even eye-raising, but you kind of shrug it and go like, yeah, that was the time. There wasn't a whole lot of understanding of other cultures, and you make up a lot of stuff, hoopla-doopla, I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, but still being, you know, it's still being ridiculous, um, as comics should be. Uh, but I, I honestly, as I read through it, I liked, I can see what you're talking about with Donald and the, and the adversarial aspect of it. I did like the coming to terms at the end where he remembered, hey, get my nephews these things. And in the end, having him saying, hey, guys, save me. And like, we're on it. We'll do it. We're, you know, we, 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 we fight and we bicker, but we're family and we're going to save you. And I thought, I thought it was well written, just like you were saying earlier, just the whole the beginning, and the end, the reoccurring jokes. Still trying to head, wrap my head around the cartoon legalese needed to make a mortgage of Pable by Diamonds or Tigerland, which I don't think tigers i'm I, my understanding of tigers is they need a lot more land than that to roam <laughs> but if it fits the story it fits the story so um sure. I, I i liked it I, I it didn't have a lot of the jumps of logic of um say the uh strange little goblin people that live in the swamp that make you forget i mean which are very entertaining but this seems more like a classic you know fish out of water or, you know duck out of his country story and has to finagle his <laughs> way to get back home Right on. So, so were you sur- surprised that this one is as well regarded as it is? No, I'm I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I can see I certainly see where people would like it and how it how it works out with its writing and its portrayal. Is they pretty much stick to their portrayals in in some fashion of Donald getting screwed and the nephew saving him. Right on. How about you, Ryan? What what were your opinions of this one? There were aspects of it I liked. Uh, none of them had anything to do with the uh, time in, in the other country. So, yeah, I guess just like kind of the nephew's cleverness and just kind of the way they handle all the different situations I thought was really appealing. Seeing Donald be awful to them as their only caregiver I thought was pretty disheartening. Uh, and then, but, but most of all, like the, this society, I guess we'll call them an Indian society because that's what we're going for here. They're so, they're so bizarre. Like it, it didn't have to be Indians. And it, I think it would have made more sense if it was not, if it was like Martians or, or like some kind of weird magical society from Gulliver's Travels or whatever that doesn't follow any logical rules or anything sure. in, their, in their cultural makeup there. Because uh, these guys are so weird. <laughs> so, so weird. And like at the end, at the end when they're like, what would it take to get you to leave the country? I was like, well, why? He wanted to leave earlier. Why not just let him leave earlier? You took him prisoner and then you're going to execute him for not being heavy enough. Just some innocent guy that some other guy sent over there. <laughs> like, what I think the like- execution was like their consolation prize, right? Like, we know he's going <laughs> to fail us. At least we can have this entertainment of watching him get eaten. But I, but I agree, it's not really recognizable human behavior. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like like he had committed a crime or something. Like he was just a guy. He was just some guy. <laughs> they were like totally railroaded yeah, into it. It's too light. Let's kill him. <laughs> like and like why did it? Why? So it's like the tigers. I'm picturing like the tigers are the Supreme Court, and they they are the ones who decide if he lives or dies. <laughs> And the tigers are like, no, this guy's fine. This guy gets to live. And they go, okay, well, we'll we'll buy you some first class tickets back home then. And so, um, does he retain the title? I mean, he's no like, is he deposed? Is he? Can he bill himself as a resume as a former Maharaja Bouquet? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's a good point. He uh, 
I get the feeling that the others all abdicated because they were eaten by tigers. So maybe he is the Maharaja in exile. And if they just wanted to kill him, there are other ways to kill him. You know what I mean? They could just get a guy with a black hood and a big axe. <laughs> yeah, these guys these guys have a stadium just for this, though. They, that's true. That's true. Right. They, do have a, they don't have an executioner stadium. They have a tiger stadium. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, anyway, I, I, I get your point. Um, it sounds like you, and, go ahead. And more thoughts like they can't have the Raja for more than a day. Like why not send someone over a week before the weigh-in and he can like, even if he's going to die, he can like eat some nice meals and- He can make a go of it. Yeah, he can make a go of it and have some, you know, a good, a good last run there or whatever, have some kind of attempt instead of being like, we're going to send someone over who obviously doesn't meet the terms. You have, you know, one I night. I read this as the, uh, as the Maharaja of, of Hupadula rules lawyering this and, and, you know, making sure that he's showing up without enough time. Can I chime in real quick? Yeah. Let's not discount the fact that the Maharaja of Hupadula didn't have somebody in mind until he saw him on the boat. That's true. I mean, this was apparently this happens every year. So you would think he'd have a backup somebody. Is there He's no servant that in his uh, entourage is going like, no tigers for me, you know? Yeah, that's uh, right. He's just, probably going to be one of them. So it's just uh, interesting plotting. But anyway, it's, 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 it's goofy and cartoon. That, that guy is the, the ruler of his country, right? He's the, he's the one who holds the mortgage, and he is yeah. personally going out on a boat from Burbank to find the lightest guy he can find on that boat <laughs> to suck her into this deal. And then when, you know, when, they, when they're sailing on there across the river there, he is personally manning the howitzer <laughs> in case they he, turn around. He's a very hands-on Maharaja, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I guess when you got an evil scheme... You don't want to. You don't want to trust it to be bopping rock steady. You know, you want to take take care of it yourself so that it doesn't get screwed up. <laughs> That's Tigerland. That's prime Tigerland. You gotta make. You gotta make sure you you close the deal. Yeah. Right. All right. So we've uh, we've talked about the story. We've we've given our reflections. Let's see. Uh, not not really a lot of appearances. You know, their media as popular as this one is. Barks never did uh, that I'm aware of. Never did an oil painting based on this one. Um, I'm not aware of any aspect of this story being referenced in any future stories. Although someone could enlighten me. Um, I didn't really find a lot educational about this one. Kind of like we were getting at the. The whole construct of um, the idea of India is very fanciful. I wouldn't be surprised if Barks didn't use some National Geographic reference for some of the buildings, but beyond that, I don't think it really reflects um, anything accurate about India. Favorite panels. This is always a fun feature. Um, I had a number of panels I liked. There were also, this was one though, where I noticed there were a lot of panels that had kind of unfinished art, right, or blank backgrounds in this one. So mm -hmm. I feel like he, I don't know, maybe he was pressed for time on this one. But at any rate, I did really like the um, one I mentioned where the nephew's getting pulled out of the fruit basket. Um, there's a really cool panel on the steamer ship uh, just as it's sailing over where Donald is saying, India, here I come. I thought that was a really nice looking panel. Um, yeah. I, I was also very taken by the uh, the gem room 
when he's showing off his piles of diamonds. And it struck me that, you know, this is kind of one of the times that Barks is tipping his hat to being very interested in characters that amass huge amounts of wealth, right? Because he's going to introduce Uncle Scrooge not too far down the road. Uh, and I did really like the panel that we're, we're supposed to, I think, really like where the Maharaja's palace is revealed for the first time. But I think my favorite one is when the tiger is lunging at the scared elephant after they've crossed the river. I, I like the perspective on that one. Um, I like it as a cool action shot. How about you guys? Any, any panels really stand out as a favorite? Um, I like that one with the boat. You talk about where it's the um, steamer going across. This is India, here it comes. That should be a bigger shot. But then I, I also like the one right next to it, which is Donald saying, oh, I'll go to my stateroom just for dinner. You see in the background a lady standing at the railing, and it looks like you can tell that the wind is blowing. So it's actually got some movement going on in the background. And it's maybe the unfinished art because the yellow hair on the yellow background. But it was just nice background scenery on the boat ride and the same one when he's leaving uh, before the boat when he's leaving uh saying goodbye to Burbank essentially you know leaving yeah. home behind and it's this, the distant shore and he's in the silhouette and has perspective I would have loved to see me some of these panels on a larger scale a little more finished like you were saying it would have been really good um that being said uh the image of the fat tigers just makes me laugh every time <laughs> Tiger's rolling in, big old bellies, tongues hanging out, blowing in like, nope, nope, nope. I'm good. I'm going to find a sunny spot and lay down. Yeah, I'll, hilarious. I'll agree. That, you can't, that, that's some pretty good comedy, those very fat, happy tigers. And, <laughs> and Donald, the one next to it, both, both of the ones that show the tigers, the well-fed tigers, are, are pretty fantastic panels with Donald just sweating profusely. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? Any, uh, any panels you want to call out? For our listeners, the India Here I Come panel, I, I feel like it's kind of reminiscent of um, like the Japanese flag, maybe. You get that kind of um, really mm. light blue on the ocean uh, and, then, and then a really dark orange sun with yellow rays coming out at different uh, angles there, uh, which is very pretty. Uh, one that yeah. kind of made me chuckle uh, as I read it was when the, um, I don't know if he's a, oh, he's the, uh, the ticket taker guy, the purser, uh, is in their room. And when he discovers the nephews and says, stowaways, I get it. And then he says, so that's the setup. And he, he points his Jacques finger right in Donald Duck's face. And Donald Duck is leaning way back and he's got the finger right on his beak. Uh, and it's, uh, it's just a really great pose that uh, I thought uh, was well-framed. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That one's hilarious. Very nice. He's got the uh, obligatory sweat bead shooting out the side of his head as he's being accused of bringing on stowaways. Oh, and then I did forget um, to... Do in the, in the reflections part, I forgot to um, talk about things that might be dated or archaic versus retrograde. The what stood out to me as dated was it was fun to see some of the old stuff that they traded up, like the very old style camera, mm -hmm. um, and then the idea of a young kid having a pocket knife to trade. I know that you you two both probably were kids who had pocket knives. But um, <laughs> not, not a ton of them that age would today. And then just the idea of taking a steamer ship to India, of course, is very, very archaic. As far as things that didn't help, don't hold up well, you know, we, we already went into this. Obviously, the depiction of India 
I mean, it's kind of a fine line, right? Like it's not great, it's not awesome. But on the other hand, at least he didn't try to use a caricatured accent um, mm, with the characters. That is true. He did show he did show most of them wearing turbans, and you know that's a common trope. But but those are my understanding is that those are only worn by Sikh people. And then you know we had some of the very Orientalist tropes like harems and and feeding people with tigers. But uh, but again, on the whole, I, I've I've seen worse depictions. I think that we have pretty much covered Maharaja Donald. Um, this one was. Uh, I do have one question, Mark. Yeah, if sure. I may. Absolutely. They never got the gold off of Donald. Hey. That's one of the greatest smuggling gags I've ever seen is oh, let's man, coat the let's coat the duck in gold and glue and then he has to run around so i just i mean i don't know if that's how he's gonna pay rent um or <laughs> what but they never and they never say how much but it's that's a significant true. amount they never got the gold dust off of pounds, him. he's pounds run around of, with it yeah i mean it's it's half glue but still that was that was one of my takeaways is that's maybe yeah, donald came out with some uh gold lining if you will <laughs> oh man <laughs> you had to go there i did yeah, that that may be why they look so content lounging on those deck chairs on the way back. Excellent. Thank you for pointing that out. All right. So uh, any other final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, no that's, that's all I got. Awesome. Well, um, thank, thanks to all our listeners for joining us. If you've got any thoughts or comments, please drop us a line at barksremarks at gmail.com. Um, you can check out our Facebook page as well. And please join us next time when we talk about Volcano Valley. Awesome. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.